0: Well, good evening. Got warm in here, didn't it? I apologize for that. I knew if it was cold, I'd have people not thrilled. And now it's hot and some of you are thinking it's hot. Anyways, let's go to the Lord in prayer and we will get started. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. And Lord, we're thankful for the victory that you've given. Lord, I pray that you'd help me tonight to uh, preach what you've laid upon my heart that you'd use it to be a help uh, in each of our lives, our perspective, our outlook. Uh, I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to remind us of just a couple of things that we have dealt with in previous messages because they do tie in together to tonight's message. We need the context to better understand the passage that we will be dealing with. And so the message we first dealt with out of chapter 11 had to do with spiritual authority. You should remember, I trust that you do, that Paul reminded the believers there in Corinth that there is a structure of authority in every area of our lives. He talked about how Christ subjected himself to the authority of God, how man is subject to the authority of Christ, and then how wives are subject to the authority of their husbands. And ultimately, every one of us are subject to the authority of God in our lives. If we choose to rebel against any of that authority, then ultimately we are rebelling against the authority of God in our lives. And so we have to remember that. Then last week we looked in verses 4 and 5 and watched as Paul dealt with a cultural issue in their day. Talked about how men and women can pray or prophesy or declare the things of God in a public setting, in a public format. And he talked about how if a man prayed or prophesied with his head covered, then what he was doing is he was dishonoring his head, or he was bringing shame and disgrace upon his head, that being his authority, that being Christ, also God. At the same time, he said in verse number 5, that if a woman prayed or prophesied with her head uncovered, then that brought dishonor to her head, which was her husband, which ultimately was a dishonor to God. And so I tried to show us last week, not the principle of whether or not we should have our heads covered when we come and assemble, but I tried to show us last week that the smallest of things that we do could bring dishonor or disgrace or shame upon the authority in our lives, that being God. I tried to remind us that we are all representatives of God and his authority in our lives, and so we need to be mindful of that, whether it be in our appearance, whether it be in our actions, whether it be in our attitude, whatever it may be, we at least need to give attention to the matter. I think so many times we go throughout our daily lives and we don't really think about how we're representing our head or our authority. And so I'm not here to tell you tonight this is okay, this is not okay, this is right and this is wrong because sometimes Christian liberty allows some to do some things that maybe it doesn't allow other people to do. But I want to challenge us. Consider it. At least be willing to consider it because I promise you the average, typical believer doesn't give it the attention it needs. All right, so that's what we talked about last week. Tonight we're moving on and we're going to be dealing with a passage that if I was just doing my own thing and not worried about being honest with the scripture or anything like that, I would just move on. I would disregard it and I would say, figure it out on your own. That's what I would do, but I don't feel the liberty to do that tonight, so we're going to deal with a few verses that honestly are a bit difficult to understand. You may scratch your head during some of this. You may say amen to some of this. And, and I hope at the end, this will be a help. But I wanna talk about something for just a moment that may or may not interest you, but I think there's a principle in this that we can extract and we can apply it to our daily lives, okay? Do you like that word, by the way, extract? I was pretty impressed whenever I thought of that word. I thought extract, ooh, I like that word. Anyways. That was a Brother Mike moment, sorry. There's a principle in here I think we can draw from. How about that? That sounds more like me. All right, so there's a principle in here that we can uh, draw from, and I think it can be a help to us. Some of you know that I do enjoy watching sports. I used to enjoy playing sports far more than I enjoy playing them now. But... uh, One of the sports that I enjoyed playing years ago, you know, was basketball, and so I was drawn to watch that sport whenever I was a teenager, whenever I was a young adult. Back in the 80s, there was a rivalry that took place between two players and two teams that had actually begun in the late 70s. Some of you know the rivalry that I'm about to speak of. Some of you are better acquainted with it than I would be probably, but that rivalry was between magic johnson with the la lakers and larry bird and the boston celtics now if you're not a basketball fan if you've never been into basketball then you probably have no idea who i'm talking to or talking about but but nonetheless these were two incredible players who played on incredible teams and several championships were won by both of these teams with the leadership of these fantastic players Now here's what I want us to think about as we go into the message that between Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, though both wonderful, wonderful players, you could not have two people more different than what those two men were. Magic Johnson, if you know anything about his history, he came from middle-class America. He had a father and a mother Who worked hard, who provided a good living for him. And he was this athlete that loved the attention. He was all about the show. He was all about the hype. He loved the media. He loved to be the center of attention. And that worked very well for him when he went to L.A. Larry Bird, on the other hand, he was a. A young man who came from, from a very poor family, from a very dysfunctional family, and he was awkward in the media. He didn't care for the attention. He didn't like the hype, and, and he just wanted to be a business kind of a person and just go do what he was supposed to do and be done with it and not, again, receive much attention for what he did. Now, in this rivalry, here's what I want us to think about, okay? Okay. Two totally different people, two totally different personalities, two totally different approaches to life, and yet over the years, there was this wonderful rivalry that took place for this reason. They had respect for the other person. Magic Johnson has said that he had great respect for Larry Bird, And Larry Bird has said that he had great respect for Magic Johnson. And with that mutual respect came a rivalry that worked out beautifully for everyone. And it's one of those rivalry relationships that will go down in sports history. Now, you may say, what in the world could that possibly do with Scripture? All right. In our text tonight, we know from previous messages and what we're about to look at that the Apostle Paul is writing to Corinthian believers about men and women. Now, I want to ask you something this evening, not trying to be funny, not trying to be silly or anything of that nature, but I want to ask you this evening, if the man and the woman are the man and the woman they're supposed to be, is there anything more opposite than a man and a woman? Absolutely not. I mean, if, if you've got a man, there is nothing feminine about him. Would you agree? There is nothing effeminate about him. There is nothing soft about him. There is nothing light about him. I mean, if this man is truly a man, then you'll never question whether or not he is a man. You'll know for sure that's a man. And thankfully, if a woman is a woman, you'll never have to question whether or not she's a woman, she'll not be masculine. She'll not be manly in her mannerism. She'll not be masculine in her approach to life. She'll, she'll be feminine. And so I don't know about you, but, but in my mind, I mean, some of you don't look too excited about this or too in agreement with this, but in my mind, I just think, you know, I don't see how you could get much more opposite than a man than a woman, and I don't know how you could get much more opposite of a woman than a man if the men and the women are the men and the women they're supposed to be. Okay, moving on. Maybe just my opinion, but here's what I believe. That both the men and the women, being what they are supposed to be, those are amazing things to watch, to behold, to consider. Would you agree to that? It's kind of like two great athletes, though completely different. You can look at what they bring to the table and what they offer, and you can say something like this. Though completely different, I am completely impressed with what both of them bring to the table. And so whenever I look at men, and I don't mean this weird, obviously, but whenever I look at manly men, I'm impressed by manly men. I've never looked at the men who are kind of soft and kind of effeminate and kind of, you know, sweet in their actions and thought, ooh, I'm impressed with that. No, I like men to be men. I am highly impressed with men who are men, and and, and I am highly impressed with ladies who are ladies, women who are women. I've never seen women that I thought could beat me up, and I thought, you know, I'm impressed with that. You know, the woman who storms into a room and she looks like she's ready to tear something up. I've never thought, now that's the kind of woman I'd like to get to know. No, not at all. What I am impressed with is when a lady is truly a lady and she carries herself like a lady. So you have two who could not be more opposite than each other. Yet if they are what they are supposed to be, There is nothing more attractive than that happening. There is nothing more impressive than them being what they are supposed to be. However, I think we would have to agree with this. That because of the fall of man, because of our sinful tendencies, here is what has happened over the years. There has been a rivalry of sorts take place between men and women. Almost like a competition. And so what that has done, I think some have even labeled it kind of like a battle of the sexes. Is that right? I don't, I don't think I'm the one who coined that phrase. I'm, in fact, I'm confident I'm not the one who coined that phrase. This battle of the sexes, there's this rivalry, there's this competition, and it it basically seems like on many occasions or in many facets, it seems like what the man wants to do on so many occasions is prove his superiority, prove his greatness, And the lady wants to say, oh yeah, oh no you won't. So over here you've got men who want to act as though they are better than ladies. You've got ladies who want to reject the notion that they are inferior at all to men. And so you have this rivalry that gets kind of nasty sometimes. Do you not? It's called conflict between men and women. Let's face it a lot of people have very poor opinions of ladies, and a lot of ladies have very poor opinions of men. Okay. Getting no more exciting than what it is right now. Just stay with me. In the church, you see the same thing happen. And sometimes because the church has bred a portion of that mentality. I'll spell it out for us. I am the man the preacher loves to preach. We are the authority the preacher loves to preach. And yes, that is true to an extent. But many times, here is what has been lost in the preaching of the man's position of authority. That would be Respect for the lady in your life. You don't have to agree with this. I know it to be true, though. Old school preachers, the old school way of thinking, the old way of, uh, of approach to relationships. It was affected by culture. It was affected by chauvinism. It was affected by many different things, I'm sure, but at least some of those things. There were men who thought, I am the man of this house, and you will treat me like the man of this house. And so in this, what became a rivalry, there wasn't much respect from the man given to the woman. Well, guess what? That made the rivalry ugly. Better than respectful and something to be appreciated and admired. Because here's what also happens, and we know this to be true even in churches, that when the man does not give the respect to the woman that she deserves it then becomes much more difficult for the woman to give the man the respect that he deserves and many times even in churches ladies become men haters or men disrespecters because my husband is treating me like a jerk, because my husband doesn't value me, because my husband only wants me for the purpose of cleaning and cooking and running his errands, because my husband only wants me for those things, then, then I don't feel like he's respecting me and valuing me the way that I'm supposed to. And so therefore my husband is a jerk and all men are jerks because my husband is a jerk. There's been a lot of marriage conflict because men don't know how to respect ladies and therefore ladies don't care to respect husbands or vice versa. And so when you've got this competition going, so to speak, again, it's not anything to be admired. It's not anything to be impressed by. It is something that is destructive and hurtful and at, 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 at no time does it bring glory or honor to the God that we serve. And so this evening, I want to look at a few verses of Scripture that will help, I hope, all of us, because here's what all of us struggle with more than we like to admit sometimes. Sometimes we get this little ego going. Brother Kyle, what do you mean? I mean this, sometimes I get this little ego in the house, I'm the man. And I don't really treat Susie the way that I ought. And sometimes, according to her own testimony, Susie would say something like this, there have been plenty of times over the last 20 years that she has thought to herself, you're not going to talk to me that way. You're you're not going to treat me that way. Hey, if you're going to treat me that way, guess what, buddy? I I can rise up against that, and I can speak to you and act towards you this way. And it's never right, and it's never helpful. And You probably struggle with that, though it's not something you'd like to stand and talk about tonight. So I want us to just be reminded of some things, and I hope that this helps us. Verse number 6. Verse number 6. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. What is that? Well, it's just an extension of what he already said in verse number 5. So he's just reiterating it. He is emphasizing it. He is driving home the point one more time that if a woman is not going to be covered, she might as well be shaven or shorn, but that's a source of shame. So just let her be covered. In verse number 7 he says, For a man indeed... Ought not to cover his head. Again, nothing new. He's already expressed that in verse number 4. So a man indeed ought not to cover his head. So notice what he said next, though. He said, For as much as he is the image and glory of God. Here is what the Apostle Paul said of man, all right, in verse number 7. He said that man is the image and the glory of God of God. So what does it mean whenever the apostle Paul says that man is the image of God? Well, it means this that man was made in the likeness of who God was in that pre-fallen state. So if you could go back and you could look at Adam and you could see him prior to the fall, prior to sin entering into the world, what you would be able to say of Adam in his character, in his actions, in his attitude, in his spirit, the way that he handled himself, what you would be able to say of Adam is this, is that he was a likeness of who God is, who God uh, desires to be in our lives. He was a reflection of God. Now, he also said in verse number 7 that man was not only the image of God, but that man is the glory of God. What does glory mean? Well, in this context, it means this, the splendor or the magnificence of God. So here's Adam in a pre-fallen state, if we're going to think about this in the terms that it would best describe it. As you looked at Adam in the pre-fallen position that he was created in, then he was a reflection of God in his character, in his actions, in his spirit, in the way that he handled himself, and he was also a reflection of the splendor and the magnificence of God. Now guess what? We as men are still supposed to be a reflection of those things. As a man, I am still supposed to be a reflection of the image of God. When people see me, what they should see in my life, and men, what they should see in your life, is a reflection of the character and the nature of God. And when people see us as men, we should also be reflecting the splendor and the magnificence of God. We don't always do that too well sometimes, do we? We are not sinless like Adam was created, so we have this fallen nature. We have this fallen aspect of our lives, and so we don't always do that so well, but notice what it said next in verse number 7, that while we are the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Well, if I'm supposed to be a reflection of the splendor and the magnificence of God, ladies, you know what you're supposed to be? You're supposed to be a reflection of the splendor and the magnificence of your husband. When people see me, they should see A reflection of God, and ladies, when people see you, they should see a reflection of me, which is a reflection of God. Or when people see Susie, they should see a reflection of me, which is a reflection of God. Ladies, when people see you, they should see a reflection of your husband, who should be a reflection of God. Okay? So he says that in verse number 7, we're okay with that. In verse number 8, he said this, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Well, is that true? Well, the creation account in Genesis would say that it is. In Genesis, where everything is laid out for us, for those of us who believe the creation account, then we would readily say, we would readily admit that man did not come from the woman, but rather the woman came from the man. That's how it worked. Man was created from the dust of the earth, Woman came from the rib out of the side of Adam. Again, we're all okay with that, but notice in verse number 9, here's where it gets a little tricky, and here's where I think the scripture has been misapplied at times for the chauvinistic male who wants to say, Me authority, you not. See, in verse number 9, it says, Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. That's where men sometimes like to throw their shoulders back a little bit and say, that's right, did you hear that, honey? I wasn't created for you, you were created for me. Well, is that true? The answer technically is yes, but not with that kind of a spirit. We do know that when Adam was on this earth and he was alone, God said it is not good for man to be alone, so he was going to create for him the helpmeet, and that is why Eve came along, and so Eve came along to be that helper, to be that assistant, to be that one who completed Adam. But we've got to remember this, that at no point in the Scripture is there room for this domineering, overpowering spirit of a man toward a woman, of a man toward his wife. It is true that the woman was created for the man, but not simply so that we could have authority over someone to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. So in verse number 9, neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. So verse number 10 is kind of odd, at least in my opinion. He said, for this cause ought the woman to have power or authority on her head because of the angels. Now what in the world do the angels have to do with all this? I mean, we're talking about men and women and creation and why women were created and, and, and all these other things and head coverings. And, and so now, Paul, you say in verse number 10, for this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. All right, got to remember this, that there is a structure of authority in every area of life, not just on earth, but in heaven as well. And the angels are subject to the authority of God just as we as people are subject to the authority of God. And so what the commentators and the scholars suggest is this, is that what Paul is communicating to the ladies of the church is this, is that it's actually needful and helpful for the angels to see submission to authority in practice among those who dwell upon the earth. Because you remember, don't you, that angels had the authority to fall several thousand years ago? They had the ability to rebel. And so again, the implied thoughts are that it's good for the angels to see the submission of the woman to the authority on her head. But notice verse number 11. It says, Nevertheless is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. So, you've got this order of authority. Christ to God, men to Christ, ladies to men, children to parents, though not in this particular passage. We understand this order of authority. We understand that man was created. We understand why ladies were created so as to be the helpmeet to the man, but that doesn't mean they're inferior. And so, to make sure that the Apostle Paul communicates everything that he can at this moment about this subject, He says, nevertheless, though it is good, though a woman ought to have power on her head because of the angels, he said, you need to understand, the man is not not without the woman, neither the woman without the man. What in the world does that mean? Again, it is suggested and it is conveyed that this word without is talking about being independent from the other. We all have a role to play, the Apostle Paul would say without any hesitation. Men, this is your role. Lady, this is your role. This is how it works. But men and women alike, here's what you need to understand. None of us are independent from the other. Now see, men need to hear this because sometimes men think a little too highly of themselves. Well, I'm the man and I can do this and I'm the man and I will do this and I'm the man and the family's going to do this and I'm the man and, and whatever it may be. Good for you, sir. Now try going through life without your wife there to compliment you in all this. Can I ask us something tonight, men, to be reminded of this, what our lives would probably look like without a good woman in it? It would not be pretty, would it? I'm sure I would learn to do some things. But I am greatly helped. Let's listen. I am greatly helped because of Susie's presence in my life. And my life would not be made better without her. My life would be made worse without her. Men, I just want to remind you, if you've got a good lady in your life, That is something to be extremely, extremely thankful and grateful for. You're not superior over her. You're not this person who is better than her. No, no, no. You are as dependent upon her as you believe she is dependent upon you. You are. If you don't believe it, just find the man whose wife has preceded him in death. You don't find a man who is generally thriving. You find a man who many times is quite lost and unsure what to do with himself. I'm just saying, men, we've got to be reminded of this, that though there is a structure of authority in our lives, when things are as they are supposed to be in that relationship with our spouses, we better remember we can not survive without her as well as we sometimes think we can. And so, ladies, I'll just throw this out here for you to consider. I don't care how strong and independent you think you are. Your lives are better when you've got the right man in your life. But see, again, here's the problem in our culture and in our society We've got the women's liberation that is obviously in full force, right, in full swing. And so we've got ladies who say things like this, I don't need a man. Okay, well, listen, with that spirit, most men wouldn't want you. You know, It's like the preacher I heard say one time years ago. She said to him, the preacher, if I had a husband like you, I'd kill you. And he said, if I had a wife like you, I'd like to be dead. Now, all I'm saying is this, ladies. If you've got a good husband, you've got something that really you don't want to live without. You are as dependent on him as you believe he is upon you. Now, we could sit here this evening and we could argue this and we could say, well, no, no, uh uh-uh, no, he doesn't respect me, blah, 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 blah. Listen, listen, listen. With that kind of an attitude and with that kind of a spirit, it's a nasty, nasty rivalry. But when the man recognizes and respects the value that his wife brings to the table, and when the wife recognizes and respects the value that the husband brings to the table, then though there would otherwise be an intense rivalry, it is actually something beautiful to consider and to behold. Because rather than working against each other, you're working with each other to reflect the splendor and the magnificence of God who created all this. One more verse and then we'll be done. See, in this weird society that we live in sometimes, with the different attitudes and thoughts, we lose sight of this. Paul said in verse number 12, For as the man is of For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. The woman back in Genesis came from the man, right? That's how it all got started. But let's remember something. After that, how many men got here without at least one woman in their life? It hasn't happened, right? We think we're so strong. We think we're so amazing. We think we're so impressive. We think we're so superior. We think we're, we're the dominant person. We're the greater, magnificent person, whatever it may be. We have all these opinions of ourselves. And Paul just reminds the Corinthian believers, Hey, man, uh, just remember, you wouldn't have gotten here. You wouldn't be here today without the presence of a woman. All things, he said, are of God. So this structure, everything that is in place, the way that it's been designed, all this is by God or through the power of God. So there's a structure of authority that was put in place by God. What is supposed to happen with that authority where we bring honor and and praise to the right person, which eventually gets back to God, all that was put in place. And what we as God's people need to remember this, especially those of us who are married, we're not near as complete without our spouse as we think we are. And the one of us didn't get here without the other somewhere. As a result, there needs to be a respect between the genders, between the sexes. Now, again, I say all that for this reason. Is this my favorite passage to preach? And is this one that I'm looking forward to, to preaching again in the future? No. But here's what I want to remind us of. At some point in the future, men, here's what you'll do. You'll get this little chip on your shoulder. I'll get this little chip on my shoulder, and I'll think I'm the man, and I'll think I've got the authority, and I've got the right to say or to do or to act or to approach a matter however I feel like I want. Okay, we can do it, but when we stop losing respect for our wives, then we are not doing what we're supposed to do and handling her the way that we're supposed to handle her and treat her. man. if you think you're never going to struggle with this again, you're not being honest about the last 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. We struggle with this, don't we? And ladies, I I preach this tonight because here's what you're going to struggle with at some point respecting the one that God has over you in his structure of authority. He's going to make a comment. He's going to say something. He's going to do something that you didn't appreciate. And rather than giving him a pass on that, rather than saying, you know what, we all do or say dumb things sometimes, rather than giving him a pass, you know what you're going to do? You're going to want to rise up and you're going to want to confront him on that and not show him the respect that he deserves. And whenever we, as men and women, husbands and wives, do not respect each other in the way that we deserve or we owe the respect to others, when we don't do that, it gets nasty, and it gets nasty quick. So I'm challenging us, as men and women, husbands and wives, even if you're not married right now, I'm still challenging us to have the right spirit and the right attitude toward the other gender. Because in the end, ultimately, we deserve it and it's owed to one another because we're children of God and we're supposed to be a reflection of his splendor and his magnificence And if we're selfish, if we're proud, if we're arrogant, if we're unauthoritarian and we lack grace and we lack decency, we're not bringing much praise and honor to the one who created us. So do with this what you need, but I promise you we need this reminder from time to time. All right? Let's all stand this evening and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us tonight. God, as men, to be respectful and to be appropriate in our dealings with the ones you have given us to be our wife. God, for the ladies in this church, I pray that you would help them to be respectful and to be what they are supposed to be of the one you've given them. God, for those who may be single right now, for those who may think, well, this doesn't even apply to me, I pray that you'd help us tonight to see that we still need to guard our attitude. We still need to guard our spirit toward the other individuals in our lives so as not to have a wrong spirit and a wrong attitude. God, ultimately, would you just help us tonight to treat others the way that you'd have us to. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.